Those of you that have been part of Coastline uh, this last month, we've been on a series called Christmas Classics. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the song Silent Night, and there's that one line, sleep in heavenly peace. And we talked about, is that possible in the world that we live in with all the chaos, all the stress, all the insecurity and the financial turmoil? Is it really possible to sleep in heavenly peace? Well, not only is it possible, but that's the very reason God gave us his son to be the Prince of Peace. And last week we talked about joy to the world. Another incredible dynamic of Christmas is God came to bring joy, that we can have a life, that we can actually enjoy church. Uh, I know growing up for me, it was like the, the more painful church was, the more holy it was. You got more heaven points, the more miserable it was to go to church. And I, now our whole philosophy is church should be enjoyed, not endured. We should love coming into the house of God. The psalmist said, uh, let, let's rejoice when they say, let's go to the house of God. And that's to me what church church is all about. And then today, we're going to be talking about I'll Be Home for Christmas. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. I'll be home. You can count. Such a beautiful song. And to me, you sang it much better than I did. But the beauty of it is it's all about home. You know, I love being home. There's nothing like the feeling of going home. You know, a long day at work, stress on the freeway, you know, dodging traffic to save your life and all the different things. There's nothing like getting home, shutting the door behind me. You know, that ah, feeling that comes when you shut the door behind you. You're safe. You're secure. You're home. And that's what it's about. I'll be home for Christmas. And that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to give us a home. Not just a physical home, but a home. And the funny thing about this story is the story really is not so much about home. It's more about homelessness. Because all throughout the story, you see homeless figures. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 together and begin in verse 6. It says, And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them and said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news uh, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Throughout the Christmas story, you've got Mary and Joseph. You know, they're from Nazareth, and now they're in Bethlehem. There's no room for them anywhere. They're homeless. They're living in a stable. You've got the shepherds sitting out on the side of the hill. They're away from their family. They're watching sheep all night. They're homeless. You've got the wise men in the Christmas story leaving their homeland to journey, you know, uh, hundreds of miles to come and see this Savior. They're homeless. And then, above all, you've got Jesus who left the security and safety of heaven, left his eternal home in glory to come and live on this, this rock, this ball called earth, homeless. You know, and I think that's really what the Christmas message is all about. Jesus became homeless to help us find a home. And that's why I love that song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, because my desire for you tonight 
is that you can find a home this Christmas. Because the reality of you, the reality is in this community, and I believe there's many people in this community and even here tonight that you have a physical home. You'll celebrate Christmas tomorrow in a physical home with family and food, and it's going to be an incredible celebration. But I'm willing to say that there's many people in our community and even here tonight that are homeless spiritually, that are homeless emotionally. You've got that feeling. You know, I, I spent 17 years in Los Angeles working with homeless people. And the one thing you'll notice about a homeless people is they're never calm. They're never at peace. They're always looking over their shoulder. There's always in a state of anxiety because they never know what's going to happen next. And there's no way they can go and shut the door behind them and feel that peace and feel that release. And I think there's a lot of people that feel that way spiritually. There's an empty void. There's this emptiness inside. And yeah, we try to fill it with all sorts of things. And we try to cover it up. But you know what I'm talking about. That that state of getting alone at the end of the day, at night, lying in bed with no TV, no radio. And there's that empty gut feeling that, and you say to yourself, I was meant for more than this life. There's got to be more to life than this. It's not just about waking up, going to work nine to five, going through a routine Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But there's got to be more than this. And there's a lot of people out there that are homeless spiritually. They haven't found a home spiritually. They haven't found a place. And that's what, to me, the Christmas story was all about. Jesus made himself homeless to build a home for us. Even in John 14, Jesus says in verse 2 and 3, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If it weren't so, I would have told you that. But, but why have I told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus literally, right now, is building a home for you. Preparing a home for you. Creating a place for you. And all you have to do is build a home for him in your heart. See, that's the beauty of the Christmas message. We build a home for Jesus in our heart. and He creates an eternal home for us. And I know in the world we live in, there's a whole interfaith movement that we like to say all roads lead to heaven. But unfortunately, it's just not true. All roads don't lead to heaven. All beliefs don't get to heaven. There's one way to the Father, and that's making a home for Jesus Christ the Son in your heart. But the beauty is when you make a home for Him, there's a home effect that comes over your life. Your location changes. Your entire location in life changes. See, there's a lot of people who their home is earth. Earth is their home. That, that is their, their home. And how many know if earth is your home, it's always going to disappoint you? If this is all there is, and let me be honest, I love earth. I mean, I love the life on earth. I, I love being in North County. I mean, how many of you will agree we live in the most beautiful part of really all the world right here in North County? We've got beaches and mountains and hills and hiking, and I love it, and I want to enjoy it to the fullest. But how many know as beautiful as North County is, it's nothing compared to eternal home. It's nothing compared to the new earth, the heaven, to where we will spend all eternity. And so the problem is if your home is earth, it'll always disappoint you. Paul said, I'm a citizen of heaven. He said, I, I, I don't, I'm not a citizen of earth. I am an actual citizen of heaven. And that's the key because when your home is heaven, then you can get through the trials on earth. Yes, it still hurts. Yes, there's still tragedy, but you handle it a little bit better. 
You know, one of the criticisms of the, uh, the Negro spirituals back in the slave times is they always said they were otherworldly. They were always talking about life to come and the thrones and the robes and the crowns and, and what heaven would be like. And they said it was always otherworldly. And then Howard Thurman, an African-American professor at Yale, stood up and said, well, you've got to understand, those spirituals didn't make them docile and submissive. It gave them hope. If all they had was this, if all they had was to wake up, be a slave, be abused, be persecuted, and then you die and you go into nothingness. If that's all somebody had in life, they would shut down emotionally and die. He said what those spirituals did is gave them a hope that there's something beyond this life. You know, this was illustrated a few years ago in Colorado Springs during the Christmas season. There was a gunman that went to a church in Colorado Springs and began shooting people. And there was a man in the church, David Works, in the Works family. He had a 16-year-old daughter and 18-year-old daughter in church that day. Both of them shot and killed. A few weeks after the grieving and the tragedy, he was on Good Morning America. And one of the questions they asked him was, what went through your mind when you saw your daughter dying? And he began to recount the story of of, of being there with his daughter and seeing the blood coming out of her head and seeing the life slip out of her body. And he said, the only thought that kept going through my mind is she's in a better place. She's in a better place. And I wondered, would I have that type of reaction? I mean, here is a man who obviously his home is on earth. His home is heaven. He is a foreigner. He is a, he is a citizen of heaven. He knows that one day he'll be reunited to his daughter. He knows that one day that this isn't all there is. There's something beyond this. And nobody should ever have to experience a tragedy like that. Nobody should ever have to deal with something like that. But when your home is heaven, you can get through those situations a little bit better. You know, Paul talks about a group of people. Actually, the, the, the Hebrews author talks about a group of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who went through unbelievable suffering in life, persecution. They were the martyrs. They went through the just torture and death and all sorts of incredible stuff. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, the writer talks about these people of faith. And it says, they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They agreed they didn't belong to this place. They didn't belong to earth. They were foreigners here. They were nomads. It says, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Well, if they had longed for the country they came from, then they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, we have a heavenly homeland to look forward to. This isn't all there is. We've got so much more. You know, and I want the best on earth. I want the best for my children on earth. I want, I want to see them grow up and flourish here on earth. And I want to live a good life on earth. But the reality is I'm a foreigner here. I'm just passing through. This isn't my home. I've got something so much greater to look forward to. The other thing when you make a home in your heart for Christ is you begin to experience a relationship with the Father that's not possible without Him. See, I want to I explain something to you very clear tonight. God does not want to be your religion. God doesn't want to be your religion. He doesn't want to be your faith. He wants to be your dad. You see, God did not create us for us to just fall on our face and worship Him all day. He already had angels doing that. 
God created us because he wanted family. He wanted friendship. He wanted companionship. That's why God created us. And yes, there are times we worship him. There are times we fall on our face. There will be seasons of that in heaven, but that's not all there is. God wants relationship. He wants friendship. He wants family. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 when the church started becoming religious and sterile in the way they worship God. Paul says, listen, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. See, that's what religion is. Religion makes you a fearful slave. I've got to obey. I've got to do this. And if I mess up, God's going to whack me over the head. The reality is there's a lot of Christians that have given God a bad name. And a lot of people who look at God as this evil taskmaster in the sky just waiting to whack you over the head every time you mess up. That is not who God is. Paul says, listen, he didn't give you a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted us as his own children. God adopted you as a child. He didn't want you to be a slave. He wanted you to be a child. And Paul goes on to say, now we call him Abba Father. And if you know anything about the historical context of what Paul is saying, this was absolutely radical for these people. See, they were trained that you don't call God Abba Father. That's too personal. That's too, that was the most endearing term you could call your father, Abba Father. That's like saying Daddy. That, that's the equivalent. And they were taught that, oh, when you go to God, you've got to go in absolute, oh, Holy Father, we beseech you therefore. No, Paul's saying, no, that's not it. God doesn't want you to come before him. God wants you to say, Daddy. God wants you to say, Abba, Father. You are his son. He has adopted you as his child. And the beauty when you make a home in your heart for Christ is you learn that it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about being a child of God, being a friend. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 15. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. And I know for some of you, this sounds a little irreverent. And believe me, there is a time and a place for reverence in the church. There is a time and place where we stand in awe of God and we revere him and we worship him. But what he wants is sons. What he wants is daughters. What he wants is friends. What he wants is family. What he wants is companionship. Like when I go home and my son jumps in my arms and says, Daddy, Daddy, and just kisses me and loves on me. That's what God wants. That's the type of relationship. And I know for some of you, it's tough. You know, some of you didn't have great dads on earth. I didn't have a great dad on earth. And for a long time, it was tough for me to relate to God because everyone said God's father. And I thought if he's a father, I don't want him in my life because I you know, was remembering growing up with my dad. But then I realized God is a perfect father. He has proved himself to me as a loving father over and over. When I was broken and hurting, he's proved himself, never betrayed me, never forsook me, never abandoned me. He was the perfect father the perfect dad that I always longed for. Well, the key is making a home in your heart for his son. Jesus said in Revelations, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. See, the first step is you got to Invite Jesus. You've got to take the son. There's no other way to the father except through the son. All roads don't lead to God. One road leads to God. Jesus Christ, our first Christmas gift 2,000 years ago. That's the message of Christmas. Is this is the way to the Father. This is the way to God. I close with this story. There was a 
story years ago about a really a loving father and son. They had an unbelievable relationship. And this father and son had a passion for art. They loved art. They would collect art together and admire art. They had the, they, the father was very wealthy. And so they were able to, to really amass quite a collection. They had Michelangelo's and Raphael's and just, just some beautiful, beautiful works of art. Picasso's. And an incredible collection. And then the Vietnam War broke out and the son was drafted into the Vietnam War. And he went off to battle and died in battle. When they gave the news to the father, he was brokenhearted and began to grieve. And he was torn up over the loss of his son. Well, about a month after he got the news of his son, there was a knock at his door. And a young soldier was standing at the door with a package and said, Sir, I know you don't know me, but I'm the soldier that your son was carrying to safety when he was shot and killed. You need to understand your son was a brave soldier. He was very courageous. He saved many people. That day, I was the last person he was carrying to safety when a bullet went through his heart and killed him instantly. He said, but I have this package and gift. It's a painting of your son, and I'm not a really good artist. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a good painter, but your son always talked about you, and he loved you, and he talked about you guys' love for art, and I know that your son would want to have this painting. Well, the father opened the package and he saw the portrait of his son and he was just moved to tears because the, the painting captured the essence of his son, captured his personality, his eyes, his facial expressions. And he said, thank you, can I pay you for it? And the soldier said, no, this is the least I could do to repay what your son did for me. Well, that became the prized possession of the father. He hung it over the mantel place. Every time somebody would come and see, visit the home and want to see all the beautiful works of art, the father would always take him to the painting of the sun. He'd always show off the painting of the sun first. Well, later that year, the father passed away. There was no one to leave the inheritance to, so there would be an auction to sell all of these beautiful paintings, all of these works of art. People from all over came to the auction because they wanted to get one of these paintings. They wanted to get a masterpiece to take home. And when the auctioneer came, they brought out the painting of the sun. And the auctioneer said, who will take the sun? We're going to open the bidding with the painting of the sun. Who will take the sun? And people got frustrated. They said, we didn't come here for an amateur painting. Bring on the Rembrandts. Bring on the Van Goghs. We want to see the the priceless art, the, the masterpieces. But the auctioneer didn't budge. He said, who will take the sun? Who will open bidding for the sun? Who will start the bidding at $100, $200, and nothing? Silence. Finally, in the back of the room, the father's gardener was there, and he raised his hand. He said, I'll give $10. He wasn't a wealthy man. He was, didn't have a lot of money. $10 was all he could afford. So the auctioneer says, we have $10. Do I hear 20? People yelled, give them the painting. Move on. We want to see the other work. The auctioneer said, $10. Going once. Going twice. Sold. To the gardener. The auctioneer put his gavel down. He said, this auction is now closed. People were shocked. They were, what's going on? Why is the auction closed? And he said, there was a secret stipulation. But I wasn't allowed to reveal until now. But the secret stipulation was the father said, whoever took the son got it all. Whoever bought the son got the entire estate. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of art, home, land, got everything. 
He who took the Son got it all. And that's the message of Christmas. God gave His Son. As the auctioneer said, who will take the Son? Who will take the Son? Because if you get the Son, you get it all. If you get the Son, you get everything the Father has. You become a joint heir with Christ. That means you own everything He owns. You have everything He has. The glory of heaven, peace on earth, joy, love. Everything becomes available to you when you get the Son. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? I want to ask that question to you. In a moment of silence with every eye closed and every head bowed. I'm going to ask you the same question the auctioneer asked. Who will take the son? Who will take the son? Because that's why we celebrate Christmas as God gave his son. So if you've never said yes to God before, if you've never made a decision to put God first in your life, or maybe... There was a time in your life where you you did have God, you did have that relationship, something happened and you're now separated from God. Maybe it was a choice you made, maybe something was done to you, maybe it was a mistake, but for some reason you're now separated from God. And today God's saying, come back to me. I love you. I'm right here. There's nothing you can do to get beyond my grace. There's, There's nowhere you can go to get beyond my love. I love you. I want to take you back. I want you to call me dad. I want to adopt you as my child. I want you to be part of my family. God doesn't want you to be part of a religion. He wants you to be part of his family. So if you need to say yes to God tonight, whether it's for the first time or whether you need to rededicate your life and come back to him with every eye closed and nobody looking around, I want a chance to pray with you quickly. So with no one looking around and every eye closed, would you just raise up your hand real quick so I can see it? Raise up your hand. Thank you. 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 Put your hands down. There's many of you that raised your hand tonight to make that decision. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. A very simple prayer of receiving the gift of Christmas. Receiving the Son, Jesus Christ. First part of the prayer is you just invite Him in. You just say, God, I invite you to take first place in my life. I invite you to be my Savior. I invite you to live inside of my heart. So right now, in your own way, in your own words, I want you to just invite God to come inside of your heart, take residence, take control, and be first place in your life. Right now, just in your own way, in your own words, invite Him inside of your life. The second step is you ask Him to forgive you. We've all made mistakes. I like to say we've all checked into the same hospital. Some of us just may have gotten there a day early, but we all need His grace. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. None of us are perfect. We all need to come to a place at some point when we're inviting Him into our life where we say, God, forgive me. So right now, in your own words, in your own way, would you just say, God, forgive me? And then lastly, you just say thank you. Thank you, God, that you gave your son as my very first Christmas gift to be my savior. 
to allow me to be adopted into your family, to give me the opportunity to say, Abba, Father, Daddy. Just say thank you to him right now in your own way. If you prayed that prayer tonight, you made that decision to put God first, the next step in your life is you need to get committed to a local church. You will not survive. Your faith will not survive without getting connected to a local church. We would love you to be a part of Coastline Church. We think it's an incredible church family. We would welcome you and invite you with open arms. But whether it's Coastline or it's another, there's a lot of great churches in this community. Whether it's our church or another church, I want you to get in the local church. Because how many know when you're born, a baby cannot raise itself. A baby needs somebody to help take care of it. When you're born spiritually, you need a church family to help you grow. So whether it's this church or another church, please, you know, I, I plead with you, find a church family that will love you, that'll teach you the Word of God, that'll teach you the Bible, that'll help you grow spiritually in your faith.